young athletes need the tools for success on the field and on the court. And now more than ever, in the arena of business. In the new era of name, image, and likeness, Athletic Architects is here for young athletes and parents to help prepare for your financial futures. Let Athletic Architects start helping you build your house. Visit buildthehouse.com and let's build together. You're listening to the Auburn Express. Powered by the War Report. All aboard the AM departure from platform 334, the Auburn Express. We're running on time and expecting no hiccups. Doing the work, hard work, to bring you the best Auburn sports content you'll find anywhere. What's up, War Report family? We are back with another great edition of the Auburn Express podcast powered by the War Report. It's Thursday. I got my girl, B-Mac, and my guy, Auburn Beams, here with me. Auburn suffered a heartbreaking 21-17 loss to LSU on Saturday. Came oh so close, but there were crazy trick plays made, guys. There were missed field goals. This game had a little everything, but the quarterback did throw for under 300 yards. I want to start by talking about the prospects based on what happened versus LSU of Auburn competing against Georgia between the hedges. What kind of chance, realistically, are we giving the Auburn Tigers to beat the Georgia Bulldogs after two straight shaky weeks for the Bulldogs against subpar opponents? Yeah, um, you know, it's always tough to go into Athens and win a game. And I will say, like, Georgia's defense has looked pretty good. It's their offense that's been really stagnant in those two games against both Mizzou and Kent State. Um, So we might have a chance if our defense shows up, but... Um, things aren't looking the best. Things are kind of looking a little grim right now going into into Athens. Um, we need another game like Saturday from Robbie to give us a fighting chance, though. Mm, well, let's talk about this. Against the Kent State Golden Flashes, Stetson Bennett went 27 for 36 for 272 yards, zero touchdowns thrown, and an interception. Uh, subsequently, the Georgia defense uh, allowed only 281 yards to Kent State, but they gave up 22 points. Now, uh, that did, I mean, the story doesn't stop there for Georgia. Uh, a Missouri team that Auburn needed overtime to beat also gave the Bulldogs a scare for three and a half quarters. So, Stetson Bennett. 24 for 43 for 312 yards in that one. So he threw for over 300 yards, but he needed 43 throws to do it. Uh, Subsequently, Brady Cook went 20 for 32 for 192, a TD and no interceptions. Uh, Bulldogs gave up 102 rushing yards on the ground, meaning that Missouri totaled literally only 294 total yards of offense and led the game for three and a half quarters. What's going on with Georgia? And is there a chance we see any carryover memes into Saturday against Auburn that gives Auburn a chance to win this one? Yeah, so I've been really optimistic the past few weeks, so I'm going to do a little 180 here just to keep all the listeners uh, 
on their are toes. You, are you booging? <laughs> no, I'm not booging. No, no, I'm being Never pessimistic again? today. I'm. Okay. Um, uh, do, what is the opposite of booging? Uh, we, I don't know. That's a great question. Yeah, I'll, okay, I'll yeah. phone a friend while you're talking. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, re, we'll <laughs> we'll have the answer for that on next week's episode. So, whatever the opposite of booging is, I'm doing. Fundamentally, here's where we're at with this. <clears throat> you have not won in Athens since Brandon Cox was taking snaps at Auburn. So we're knocking on the door of almost 20 years for that. So it's really tough for me to think like, yeah, this is the year that's going to happen. But also Georgia is in a absolute peak of where their program is from a talent and dominance wise. So it's like, okay, there's that factor also. Auburn is definitely probably not where we would want to be as far as just a consistency and a product on the field. So you've got that factor there too. And then on top of all that, this is the first away game for this team. And this is going to be funny to say a lot of a, a young team because we've been shifting some things around with position groups. And now we have a lot of uh, younger guys out there getting significant playing time, specifically at quarterback. So how is this team really going to, play on the road and that's definitely something that Auburn has struggled with for a number of years outside of that uh, Arkansas game last year so history tells us it's not looking fantastic for this one so <laughs> yeah. you're uh, really you're you're kind of you're really dead you are kidding with the pessimism man you yeah so I, I'm just I'm, in a, I'm just gonna believe it till I see it and I get the whole point of like George has really been tripping the past few weeks I mean Yes, I want as like as much as I'd love to really take that to the bank, but like Auburn's also been tripping for a little while too. So it's who's tripping and who's falling here, and I think that's going to be uh, that that's right. going to be a big question. All right, memes. I'm going to add some books to this conversation. Cause, yeah, because you just depressed me thoroughly. Are we encouraged by the change of offensive philosophy that we saw, Brandon? You can jump on this one too. From Auburn on Saturday, this was not the same offense that they ran. They went three and four wide receiver sets. They spread teams out. They moved the quarterback out of the pocket. It seemed to work. I mean, I noted, you know, in earlier in the week that it was a good chance that we would see a different offense on Saturday. Um, you know, I talked to some of the staff, some of the players. They said, hey, we're going to do some different things. They definitely did that. Uh, is there a chance that they build on what they started versus LSU and get the ball to the playmakers a little bit more? We see Moy, Moy, more Coy Moore, uh, more, more Camden Brown, more Omari Kelly. All these guys had catches on Saturday, significant catches as well, too. Uh, and this offense looks a little better. And then that brings me to the second part of this. Do we see a continually improved Robbie Ashford on Saturday that gives Auburn a chance to win. Yeah, I mean, I feel like we definitely got a little bit of some hope um, put into this offense on Saturday with the quick pass offense, um, the different wide receiver sets that we were running. Um, I am a little worried with who we're going up against on defense, though, because Georgia has two players in the top five in the in the conference and in interceptions. Christopher Smith has two interceptions on the season. He's number three in, in the conference, and he's tied with another teammate, Malachi Starks, um, for interceptions on the season. So I'm a little worried about that with the um, turnover issue that we've had. Um, and then also on the other side of the ball, too, um, one of a, a top five receiving um, 
player in the SEC uh, is is the tight end for Georgia, Brock Bowers, who's been yeah, lighting up. He's good. Yeah, so I'm a little worried um, about kind of on the other side of the ball. How are we going to protect um, or how are we going to um, guard him? Uh, and then obviously, like, the injury to Eku this weekend was was pretty tragic. So, you know, I think on, on the offensive side of the ball, I'm excited for what we saw this weekend moving forward. But I'm a little worried with kind of the matchup that we have going into Athens. Um, on the other side of the ball, um, I know we're kind of a little a little injuries and stuff. So, you know, maybe not as hopeful um, as you might be, Mike, but, you know, I think that we have something to build on, though, like you said. Yeah, I was just encouraged that this staff was able to change it up. They seemed pretty committed to just run tank straight up the middle and get stopped every play. And um, there is a developing narrative now with Robbie Ashford emerging not only as a run threat, but a throw threat that maybe the right way to run this offense is no longer through Tank Bigsby. Memes, what do we think about Robbie Ashford being the star of this team offensively and not Tank Bigsby? I think he's got to be. I mean, it's just, it hasn't, as my referencing my anti-Boog reference (laughs) a few minutes ago, if you, if we haven't seen it, why do we think it's just all of a sudden going to work? And that's kind of where we're at here is I don't know how much of this is on Tank. I don't know how much of this is on Scheme. I don't know how much of this is on the line or is it the other team is just so dialed in to when number four is on the field. It is just like stop him at all cost or a little factor of all the above. Don't really know, but it hasn't been working just yet. So we have seen those big flash plays out of Robbie. So that's why I think it would make more sense to be inclined to think, yeah, this game would have to rest under him. Now, I think naturally the progression of things would be if Robbie opens the door, Tank can therefore run through it. So, I mean, I think it's a one-two punch, but I think that one has to start with Robbie. It can't be Tank than Robbie. It's got to be Robbie than Tank. I think a lot of that just has to do with the nature of where the offensive line is right now to keep Georgia honest. But the other thing I think for this game specifically is that you're really going to have to count on your defense to create turnovers. And looking at what Missouri did against them, Georgia lost two fumbles. Missouri mm-hmm. had no turnovers. So you factor those things in. You got to get some fumbles. You got to get some interceptions. And of course, what has the story been for Auburn? You can't give up four. You can't give up any. Not an away game. How's Robbie going to do on the road? There's a lot of questions there. But if Robbie can thrive on that energy and take the crowd of it early and potentially catch this Georgia defense sleeping and overlooking Auburn and following the narrative that, oh, Auburn's no good and they just think this is going to be an easy win, kind of similar to what I think mm-hmm. Auburn and Georgia both did with Missouri. And then they might get sucker punched in the jaw. And then you got to keep your foot on their throat for four quarters, not a half, all four. Mm. Uh, going back to Tank. Should it even be tank, man? Is it time to start talking about Jarquez Hunter taking some of these carries from the great Tank Bigsby? Now, we argued about this uh, vigorously on the show on Sunday. Uh, I was awesome. I love that segment. (laughs) I think that when anybody brings up touching their Lord and Savior, Jesus Tank, that they get all in their feelings about it. And it's... Jarquez Hunter seems like he's seeing the field, hitting the hole a little bit harder. Um, he seems a little bit more elusive, a little harder to tackle. Uh, who Should anybody be safe? Should Tank even be safe at this point in terms of touches? I mean, you got to use him, but 
um, is it time to start getting the ball into some of these other guys' hands to see if they can be more effective? Yeah, I mean, I think absolutely it is. I've I've been a big ag- advocate since the very beginning of the season that um, Tink is running back number two in terms of production when compared Ooh, to Dark West Hunter. Okay. I, I mean, I think there it's just a different style of of running. Uh, Tank is, you know, run it down your throat and, you know, basically is very similar in terms of Derrick Henry type of run style. And I think that Dark West Hunter um, opens up the offense a little bit more whenever he runs. It's a little bit more agile. Um, and that's kind of what we need right now. We don't have the line that can block the way that a uh, running back who runs the way that Tank does. Um, just run it down your throat type of running. Um so nothing that takes away from Tank at all. I think just like what the style of offense that we need to run right now in order to actually be productive and get into the end zone, compliment, it, Jarquez Hunter compliments that more, in my opinion. Yeah, I think it's important to note that this is not a Tank sucks segment, more so than it is we have other players that can be just as effective, I think. And is Jarquez Hunter a better fit? He's definitely 100% the better pass catcher. Now, we saw him catch a long one from Robbie Ashford on Saturday that went for a ton of yards. And, um, you know, is there is there a possibility Tank's playing it safe this year because this is his last year in college and he doesn't want to get hurt for a team that's maybe not going anywhere on paper? I mean, potentially, but I think he also has, like, genuine, probably has genuine concerns about his health behind the offensive line that we have, too. You know, I think it's likely a combination of both of those things. Mm, memes. What do we feel about Jarquez Hunter, man? Is he is he the guy moving forward here? Has he earned more carries? I mean, split carries even? Well, I, as I kind of mentioned earlier, I, I do really think that teams are going to be game planning around Tank and they're going to be dialed into him more than Jarquez. Mm-hmm. So I don't, like I said, I'm not, not in any meetings, but I would lean to think that there is a little bit of that, that Hey, just I think the yards after contact stat that we saw after the Missouri game of like Tank having more yards after contact than he had yards is very telling. The fact that it's just like everybody crashing on him because they're doing all these just like mid zone runs. And I just don't think they've been super creative with those play callings. I mean, we haven't, have we even seen a, a speed option since Mercer? Maybe one since. Uh, have right. we done, like, they're not doing a ton of zone read stuff. So, I just think the smash mouth running style just is not really working there. But I will say the one thing that's very obvious that Jarquez is excelling in over tank is Jarquez is much more dynamic catching the ball. And I just, the numbers go to back that up clearly that Jarquez has um, been getting like good numbers, catching the ball, making good plays with it. And tank has had a lot of untimely drops catching the ball yeah. compared to Jarquez just over the season as a whole. So I think that is another thing that kind of opens up the uh, opens up his number for that. So for sure. that uh, is my thought there. But I mean, at the end of the day, and I think we've said this at nauseum, and I think it, it goes over the entire team is if you are three and two and it's a very bleak three and two, no, no position is safe. No person is safe on this team. If you're not producing at the highest outputs right now, got to look at the guy behind you. So not saying I, I, that that shouldn't be tank, but I mean, I, I think that's just an umbrella fact for where the team is right now. I agree with that. Listen, at the end of the day, tank Bigsby is a great running back 
and nobody questions his talent. But right now, um, if defenses are going to be keying on him every time he goes into the game, maybe the change of pace is what's best for the team because they're not keying on Jarquez under right now, which was also kind of my point about like why Jarquez not necessarily is the better back, but might be the better option right now. Speed options are hard hard to run when your line is getting blown up as soon as the ball is snapped, right? If they're already in the backfield creating havoc, you know, it's going to be really difficult, I think, to run speed options, which is why they stayed away from it. But ultimately, what you're talking about with these lines memes is why you haven't seen, I mean, I don't, how creatively can you run the ball when your line is getting pushed back in the run game? I don't, I don't know what that looks like. The only thing you can really do is pass the ball to keep them off balance and try to run on not so obvious running downs. Yep. To keep them and guessing. Harson, and Harson said in the press conference, it was fe- he described the running game against LSU as feast or famine. And if you watch the game, or if you rewatch the game especially, that's exactly how it was. They're either, they're either getting stuffed or they're getting nice, good chunk plays on the run, but there wasn't a whole lot of consistency in the middle there. And with that, got to look at it and just say, okay, well, when we're at a point in the game where we can't afford any famine and feasts would be nice, that makes things that makes things really tough. And kind of going back to what I was saying on the reception, Jarquez had two receptions for 70 yards. Tank had four receptions for 18. So, and that was just the LSU game. I mean, those numbers, look back at it too. Jarquez had that, um, that awesome receiving touchdown or hurdle to guy. So yeah. I, mean, I think it's just, you got to look at who who's being your dynamic playmaker. And I'm trying to think outside of take Mercer away from, and I'm really trying to think of any big marquee plays tank has had. And I'm just not really, I think he had maybe one big popped off run against Penn state, but I mean, there just hasn't yeah. been, they had a dump you know, off to him as well too, that went for like 50 yards or something. I mean, it's just been, it's not been notable because they've come, and either so-so performances by the team or losses, blowout losses. So it's hard. And then he hard also, to too, let's not forget, he had that fumble. He had that fumble last week against LSU that hurt some momentum that thankfully Robbie recovered. But it's just it's just <laughs> stuff like that where it's just like, man, you are the guy on this team. And like those little things, I mean, with the team having the struggles they're having, like you got to put the team on your back. And like the littlest of mistakes that on the – year that would probably otherwise be overlooked or forgiven like you can't afford to be that guy doing that so yeah i mean it's and like i said not taking anything away from saying i still think he's a very good running back happy to have him but there still has to be the little like just even the littlest things right now and someone on that offensive side aside from the quarterback has got to step up and really try to take those reins and help us out yeah triple option i'm i'm not against it with the with the guys that we have that can run well, you know, Tank, Jarquez, and Robbie. What better time to run triple option than, than Yeah, than well, I'll tell you this. Robbie Ashford is not in favor of that right now. I think you'd have a hard time selling that offense to him. Yeah. Um, he wants to throw the ball, and he wants to uh, conserve his energy, and he's been taking a lot of hits. So um, he's not built like a Tank. I think he's in great shape, but he's not built like a Tank. So any exposing him to injury is essentially exposing your – season to being truly over behind his offensive line 
but it'll be interesting to see what they decide to do moving forward uh, that helps the team the most. Guys, before we move on to the last topic, I want to smash a topic in here in between about wide receiver. Now, there was a clip from our show from la- from August that went viral on Twitter. It was of Coy Moore saying that he was the best receiver in the LSU receiving room. Um, and he gave his due to his teammates, but he also said he felt like, you know, the new OC came in and he played his guys and he didn't really get a chance. Uh, Coy Moore went out on Saturday and had 55 yards on four receptions. Now, he threw an interception, which you would have liked to have left that off the card, but he got eight targets. As a matter of fact, his eight targets were the most targets of any Auburn wide receiver. Is Coy Moore now the go-to receiver on Auburn's squad? This guy the best in the Auburn receiver room right now? I think absolutely. Um, okay. I think that he is, and I think that his numbers speak for itself. His play speaks for itself. Like, the dude is balling. Um, outside of him, though, you know, this was actually just announced before we got on this podcast. I was hoping we would get the ball to Landon King more, but I think he might be taking a red shirt this year. Um, but absolutely Coy Moore. And then um, I would say Javarius Johnson, too. Probably those two guys. Mm, memes. Who's who's the best? Who's king of the wide receiver hill right now? Yeah, I mean, I still think you got to look at uh, Javarius Johnson for sure. Uh, I think Coy has solidified himself as up to the number two there. And I think that is sort of a processing out of Shed just as far as the production. I mean, we have just... Cedric, Cedric Jackson has just completely fallen off and honestly made the best man win. And as a guy who is as senior on this team as he is to get processed out by some younger guys, I mean, there's nothing to do there besides looking in the mirror. Right. But at the end of the day, they're going to put the best guys in there. So whoever that is, I'm happy that somebody is stepping up to fill that role. I'm not partial to who that is, but I'm going to support who that is. And I'm glad Coy can come in here and given all the struggles Auburn has, make a name for himself catching the ball. Uh, we're seeing the Camden Brown show come out a little bit. And I know a lot of people were anticipating that and didn't see a lot of that at the beginning of the season, especially mm-hmm. with some earlier, uh, easier opponents on the schedule. And then the hopefully... He high-pointed a football on Saturday for yeah, a touchdown. A sick, sick play, Dang. yeah. And obviously, love to see... Uh, I know Malcolm Johnson was in a boot and wasn't able to play this past game, but... Hope he's able to get back. But and, and, and the, the irony of this is this is legitimately probably one of the deepest wide receiver rooms Auburn's had quite possibly in my lifetime. And it just stinks that like all the pieces aren't there to capitalize on this because there's so many years. I just really think to, like really, really highlight like 2011 and even like 2007 and eight is years. It's just like, God, if we just had some guys that we could throw the ball to. And now it's like, oh my gosh, we've got so many guys and it's just a line to give the quarterback some time to get it and some scheme. And hopefully some of those pieces are getting there. Cause I mean, it's always fun to where you're looking out there and just like, all right, we got a guy, we got a guy, we got a guy versus just like a one read or maybe a two read. And there's just a massive drop off after one and two for the wide receiver room. So it's just really nice to see depth there. And uh, I'm glad, I mean, I think Coy cashed a pretty big check, but he is definitely stepping into the role to cash it all things considered so uh yeah you know what always love a guy who bets on himself for sure listen 
Uh, I think Coy, again, the clip was a little blown out of proportion. He was just saying, hey, those guys are good, but I think I'm good too. Yeah, more yards than all of them. Just yeah, saying. I mean, listen, he all we LSU. Didn't win, but you know who did win? Coy did. Yeah, he did. Yeah, they so. were dropping a lot of passes Saturday. I didn't see Coy Moore dropping so many passes. So, mm, man, I'm tell- if you take away the interception on the cutesy play, he had a great game, mm-hmm. right? Like he had a great game, and eight targets was was the most on the team. So it's just interesting here on the season, right? Uh, Robbie Ashford completed nine. Um, he completed 19 balls to eight different receivers on Saturday. So they definitely spread the ball around. Uh, Camden Brown, again, only one target, but that one target was for 18 yards and a touchdown. And so far on the season, your leading, um, re- uh, your leading receiver in terms of receptions is Javarius Johnson with 16. The second is Tank Bigsby. He's got 13 receptions. John Samuel Shanker, 12, right? And then... Fourth is Shed Jackson and Coy Moore tied for 10. Now, this is significant, right? Like, Coy got eight. Well, he got four just yesterday or Saturday. So, you know, he he started the season just a little bit hurt and has not played a ton. Shedrick has played every game. Uh, if these guys start to catch up here and you start to see on your receiving list some receivers rise to the top of these receiving charts for Auburn. Uh, this could be interesting. Now, Coy Moore is a guy who's played sparingly, but he is second on the team with 155 yards receiving so far this season. Uh, Javaris Johnson leads with 305. Uh, John Samuel Shanker in third with 147. And Shedrick Jackson with 141. Jarquez Hunter has 107. Again, over, about half of that coming on Saturday. Uh, and Tank Bixby has 87 yards. Finding the receivers, like how important is this going to be for Auburn that they find a star receiver this season and then convince that guy to come back for another year, right? I mean, do, do we think yeah, it's Coy? I think it's Coy um, based off of what we've seen so far. Kind of, you know, hard to tell, but I think it's Coy and you absolutely have to make sure he's here next season. Um, we haven't had, you know, a star receiver in a really, really long time. And I think Koi can be that person. I think he shows a lot of potential and has so far. Um, and I think it, it might be easy to convince him to stay. Um, I, I hope at least. He did come from LSU. He transferred here. And he seems to be enjoying it, his time here. And, I mean, he looked like he was having fun out there on Saturday. For sure. Um, yeah. Uh, Memes, let me ask you this. Let me yeah. pose a hypo- let me pose a hypothetical to you. Let's ride. When Seth Williams and Anthony Schwartz went pro, reports were part of their decision not to come back was a ton of inaccurate throws from their quarterback. Playing for that guy made it hard for them to showcase their talents. How important is Robbie Ashford's maturation as a quarterback in convincing not only the good receivers we have to come back? but top flight receivers to maybe come to Auburn this offseason and join this offense to play with a quarterback they feel like can get them the ball. Oh, 100%. I mean, you see that with recruits all the time. It's the big thing of, ooh, I want to play with so-and-so, or let's get this class area, come play with me. You see that across all sports. So if Robbie solidifies himself as the guy in the future and he's showing that he's improving, 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 and it's not a legs first, arm second kind of thing. He's like, no, I'm quarterback. I win games in my arms, and I've got legs. 
as a weapon when needed, yeah, that's going to be a huge enticing thing for guys to either transfer in or to stay or not transfer out or use COVID years or insert your what-if scenario there. Because if they really feel like, hey, we've got a guy there that can get us the ball, that's going to be something that you're really going to want to see. You're going to lose Shed. And then you've got a pretty young wide receiver room after that. So then the question there becomes, as much as we hate to say it, are there going to be guys who want to leave? And Javar Johnson already was in the transfer portal once earlier this year, convinced to stay, I think, in hindsight, really good decision for him so far. He's the leading receiver of the team. But obviously, you never know how that, called a soap opera, can turn out at the end of the year. But having that guy and that guy being a quarterback that is the guy, that's a great selling point to have for all these guys because a wide receiver is only going to be as showcased as their quarterback allows them to be. So getting mm. getting them good touches, good looks, cutting the ball where it needs to be so they don't have to make really tough catches all the time, which in turn result in drops or just making them look bad, makes them look good. That's going to be something those guys are going to want to have, and fans kind of want that too. So, yeah, that's a that's a big selling point, and let's. I think we're all hoping that, however the year ends, we at least come out with the quarterback of the future. So that would be something like it was just like one one easy and hopeful victory that Auburn can have after this year. And I know there's just a lot not going Auburn's this, Auburn's way right now. Can we at least go into December just feeling like you know what? We have no idea what all went down the season, but the one thing or what's going to go down after this, but the one thing we can rest our head head on is knowing that we've got our quarterback. That's the one thing I'm really cheering for. And that's the one thing I'm really hoping for. Uh, so far this season, Auburn has 142 pass attempts versus 152 rushing attempts. So it's been pretty even or split between the pass and the run. That was out of whack a little bit on Saturday. Uh, obviously, uh, they threw the ball a lot. Robbie Ashford had 38 attempts through the air on Saturday versus LSU in the loss. Um, and when you look at the rest of the stats, uh, that's, well, 39 attempts total because Coy Moore threw an interception. But um, that's 38 attempts for the quarterback versus 31 rushing attempts. They've been trying to find balance on offense for sure. So they're, we haven't abandoned the run. I think that's something that's important to note to fans, Auburn has not abandoned the run at all. Uh, they're trying to be balanced, but one has to be effective for the other to work. Uh, Robbie Ashford is going to be a huge, huge component in whether Auburn can continue uh, to progress on offense and, and hopefully find some points in the second half. So speaking of the second half, we're almost into the second half of the season. We're pretty close. Auburn plays Georgia on Saturday. A win would be huge for the Tigers to move to 2-1 and in conference, 4-2 and overall. Coming down the back half of the schedule, it's followed by Ole Miss, at Ole Miss. Uh, they come home for Arkansas. They're at Mississippi State. They come home for two games against Texas A&M and Western Kentucky. And then they finish in Tuscaloosa against the Alec Bampson, Park Tide, whatever. Apartheid, what whatever, whatever they are. <laughs> <laughs> Screw them. The, the, tide, uh, so, the Tide Pods. The Tide Pods, right. Yeah. So mm -hmm. I what milestones does Auburn have left this season on this schedule with Georgia, Ole Miss, Mississippi State, Texas AM, and of course the Iron Bowl? And which ones are the most winnable? Let's start there. What's the most winnable game left on this schedule for Auburn? 
I'm going to go with the two. I'll start off with what I think are the two most winnable games. And that's going to be the Arkansas game and the Texas A&M game. Are we omitting Western Kentucky here? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, just conference games. Yeah. And the reason why I'm saying both of these, one, Arkansas has the worst pass defense in the conference and Mm. almost the country. Um, So we shouldn't have an issue passing the ball on them. They do have a, a good, solid linebacker core um their qb1 is under concussion protocol and likely is not going to play against alabama this weekend and i don't know when he will play again um that team is just beaten up you know and i think that auburn has a good chance to take that game from arkansas i think it's actually a a really good matchup for auburn for texas a&m their offense is so stagnant. Um, is it, is, aren't they the most mid-team ever in the history of mid-teams? And the two teams I just named were two teams that were getting so much preseason hype all offseason. So Texas A&M, it's just, they're just a massive question mark. Like They have a good coach who's been there now for a few years, who has a ton of talent, and they have the same record as Auburn right now. They're 3-2. and two. So... I think, and so is Arkansas, um, Auburn, Arkansas, and Texas A&M. They're all three and two right now, and I think those are potentially our two most winnable conference games that we have left from a matchup perspective. Um, I think they're both going to be sloppy, but I think that we can. I think that we have the potential to win both of those games. We have more talent than Arkansas, and I think our offense has a little bit more spark than the Texas A&M offense. So. I think that that's not a stretch. Listen. A lot of people are going to hear this and think that's a crazy statement for an offense that has maybe struggled to to to, to put up points. But in terms of moving the ball against what was I, I was being told almost an unstoppable LSU defense by the numbers going into Saturday. Well, they put up 438 yards of offense on them. Uh, yeah. They just couldn't finish. So uh, Texas A&M is mid. Now we need From a to, betting perspective, I've been betting Texas A&M team total under since week one, and it's five and zero. Oh. Ooh, okay. Yeah, so, just put just throwing that out there for anybody who wants to bet on Texas A&M. Look at their team total, and if the line hasn't moved too much from the opening line, consider betting on the team total under. And mm. um, their offense is is just not good. Mm. Memes. What's the most winnable conference game left on Auburn's schedule? Yeah, I mean, I think it's, <clears throat> I mean, I think you got to say it's A&M because, I mean, I think the direction a and going, I just don't see a way come time November that they get this figured out. And that's where you really got to sit there and scratch your head and wonder, like, is that going to be the point where this team just starts giving up on Jimbo? Mm-hmm. Arkansas does have a bye week before Auburn, I'm pretty sure. So you've got, you've kind of got the bye week bowl there. Uh, so... That that's if Arkansas because Arkansas's got a tough stretch. I mean, you had A and M, Alabama, Mississippi State, BYU, Auburn. But between BYU and Auburn, you have a bye week there, so uh, it's not going to be the easiest. It's not going to be the easiest stretch for Arkansas because BYU and Mississippi State are both away and Auburn. So Arkansas's been playing a lot of away games. Jefferson is banged up, so one factor there is if he's not back for Mississippi State and or BYU where that team is mentally there. I mean, at, at this point, we're playing a lot of mental football to see just like where the psyche is going to be for these teams. Just because if, if you're on a cold streak, you got another away game, 
It's not always the easiest thing to bounce back from. Auburn will be back at home after two very tough away games. So, mm. but I still, I'm still going to say A&M and Arkansas naturally due to the home field advantage. I, I, I didn't at the beginning of the season. I still don't love that Mississippi State at Mississippi State matchup for I feel that. reasons we don't need to really get into. I think we all kind of we've uh, we know that narrative by now. But I, I genuinely think right now, if you could tell the fans, if you had a control your destiny button, you could just smash and just say, you know what, we're going to hedge our bets. You win Arkansas, A and M, and Western Kentucky, but you lose all the other ones. Would you would you smash that button right now and take? the totality of the three wins plus the three you've got just in the season with the bowl with a few SEC wins that people probably didn't expect you to get. I think some people would probably take that right now. Just get it done. It's it's just hard to see those away games thinking that like, yeah, this is this is gonna happen. Of course, Auburn could win out outside of Alabama and Georgia and have eight wins for the season. We don't know what it's gonna be. But uh right now I mean, I think at this point, you just you want to fight to not get a losing season. I hate that we're at this point, and that should right. never that should never be a sentence. That should never be the goal of the team. Well, they've I mean, got that, they're, that never, they're, they've got a winning season right now. Right now, Auburn has more wins than losses. That's my book for tonight's podcast. But but means <laughs> let's we're gonna go a little bit longer tonight because I have some things I bug right now. Yeah, Remember. I've got I got some things I got to settle with you tonight. Means because of your because of your of the dark side. I've never known this dark side of you. I'm, I'm anti-booging tonight. Yeah, that's anti-boog. This stretch of Arkansas to Western Kentucky, if you win those games alone, that's that's seven and six, right? Or seven and five. Seven and five, right? What's the likelihood with, again, Brandy noted, Arkansas, one of the worst pass defenses, and we got a quarterback who's possibly heating up through the air. Mississippi State team, this is not really scaring anybody, even though it's a tough road game. Texas A&M and Western Kentucky before the Iron Bowl, you could possibly go into the Iron Bowl 7-4, and four, where anything can happen. So let's talk about this for a second. How winnable does this stretch look? I know, again, looking at Auburn's schedule per ESPN FBI, they had the hardest schedule in the country. But it turns out a lot of these teams have just as many question marks as Auburn. Auburn's sitting at three and two. Well, you know what, guys? So is Arkansas. Am I am I crazy to think that I like Auburn's chances of Old Miss over Mississippi State? I was just I, about I, to say I, that. Yeah, actually. like yeah. They have, <laughs> I, I think I like it for Old Miss rather than Mississippi State in terms of a matchup perspective. And if we want to talk about a second half offense is stalling, Ole Miss only scored three points against Kentucky in the second half on Saturday. So right. I'm not necessarily sure if. You know, the lane train is all that it's worked up to be. Um, and they have a really young quarterback, too. And, yeah, I think Ole Miss I'm, – I'm with you, Memes. I think Ole Miss is a more winnable game than that Mississippi State game. Okay, so even if you swap those out, again, presumably that's a top-10 win. And, again, and for the second straight season, Brian Harson will have notched a top-10 win, both against Ole Miss, <laughs> uh, weirdly enough. But – I'm looking at this stretch here, and again, what was once a daunting schedule looks a lot more manageable because these teams turned out to have just as many question marks uh, as Auburn did. Now, uh, Mississippi State is sitting at 4-1, and one, so they've only lost one game, but we know there are going to be some more L's. Texas A&M is at 3-2, and 1-1 one one in the conference. They're not really better off than Auburn is right now. They've got just as many question marks. 
you know, we noted Arkansas is three and two. You know, Ole Miss is undefeated, five and zero, one and zero in conference. Uh, so beating them and notching their first L would be uh, an achievement. And Western Kentucky, obviously, we're, we're considering that a W right now. But uh, if we were betting, what the chances that Auburn comes out of this one, two, three, four, five, six game stretch, four and two. You got you uh, need four wins here. Yeah, I don't think uh, <laughs> under, <laughs> under. <laughs> I'm not sure if I'd bet on that. I will say maybe to give us a little bit of hope on that Ole Miss game. Mm-hmm. The weekend after Ole Miss plays Auburn, they play LSU in Baton Rouge. So there's a potential that that could be a look ahead spot for Ole Miss. Okay. With Auburn coming out of Athens, assuming we lose that game. And obviously we're a 500 team that, um, has no um conference yeah, trap, uh, trap game for Ole Miss so, is uh, Auburn's perfect spot. Yeah. yeah, and and so out of all those games, I feel I think most confident about beating either Arkansas or Texas A and M, and I think there's a really strong possibility we can catch Ole Miss sleeping in Oxford. Um, I would not bet on any of that though, mm. <laughs> personally, right now. Um, I think it's just there's so many question marks. There's so much inconsistency. Um. And unfortunately, there is some consistency in the second half of games with Auburn. Mm. So, yeah. <laughs> crazy, I mean, crazy talk to me from, here. Oh, yeah, yeah. I was going to say, a side note, one thing that really has me down, I know this is like just like one thing of all things that would, but generally speaking here, the loss of Eku Leota being out for the season, which like totally sucks because like love him, love his game. I was super, super hyped for what he was going to be and do this year. Because, I mean, that was the thing. You know, I was big on the defensive line, the studs. So losing him still has me just a little extra nervous on the defensive side. Now, granted, Bragg stepped up. Colby Wooden had a feast against LSU, but mm. still just hate to lose a senior guy that good. Now, you said talk to me. What am I talking to you about? What, what are we talking about? Man, we're talking about how would – I mean, you're, you're anti-bug on this whole I'm next just, tonight, just for Just for tonight. I'll, yeah, be, I'll okay. be good with some sleep. Okay, well, I mean, what would it take? And you know what? I, this was a topic we we kind of swore to stay away from, but I'm going to get into it because I choose yeah. violence. Yes. Right? Long up tonight. I love it. We're going long yeah. violence. Yeah, listen, listen. Weird uh, there's a lot. Thing. There's a lot of talk about firing the coach, right? Mm-hmm. Now, in this next six-game stretch, we'll certainly decide that. But let's play a little game called... Brian Harson keeps his job if. What needs oh, to happen just, over these next six games for Brian Harson to have a to, chance? He needs to go into Athens this weekend and win. I think yeah, that's his th- only I think that's his only shot at keeping his job at least past the bye week, personally. Okay. From from what we're hearing from what media is or isn't saying, what narratives they are and aren't pushing, he has to go into Athens this weekend and he needs to beat Georgia. I don't think mm-hmm. the Ole Miss game matters if he gets his ass handed to him in Athens this weekend. Okay, fair enough. I think there's, I think there's tears to that, and I think it's more of do you go out on your terms or do you go out on Auburn's terms? And I think that's going to be the, um, the million dollar question there is like, what? How's this going to end up going down? So let's just say hypothetically, in this scenario, he says, "I'm staying at Auburn no matter what, unless you kick me out of the door with a." 
briefcase full of cash. I'm not leaving just for this to make sense here. I don't think you necessarily have to beat Georgia, but you have to look competitive against Georgia and you've got to give reason kids or kids fans reasons for hope. So I think with that, you've got to have an elevated quarterback play. I think we saw a little bit of that with moving council to center, where it's like, okay, that did help the line look marginally better. Uh, I think for these injuries you've got that, like I was just mentioning Eku, I think you're going to need to see guys really step up, fill those roles. I think you're going to see that defensive line attacking very similar to how they were last weekend and playing four quarters. Like you got to score in the second half. I mean, what would be better than if Auburn had just this incredible second half comeback? Um, really, I would say against any team at this point, minus Western Kentucky, and just a solid four quarters of football. Like, make it look like, hey, you know what? These problems that we really, a lot of people deemed coaching, they may or may not have been like, hey, we're fixed them. Those are done. You look in pet. Now, if you beat Georgia, you're back in the driver's seat. But if you look competitive against Georgia and don't let Georgia embarrass you and almost embarrass them, very similar to what Missouri did. You come out and you have a commanding win against Old Miss, and then you follow that with a um, commanding win against Arkansas after that, and then you're back in the driver's seat. Now, I do think you legitimately will have to win every game aside from Alabama. Maybe you can trip up with Mississippi State, but when everything else looks competitive against Alabama to just get the year. Uh, if you want to really guarantee it, win out every game. Go, 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 ten and. Go um, <laughs> yeah. ten and two, and then everything all is right. But I think the other factor there too, and this is a chicken and egg type situation. It's going to be recruiting, and it's it's you want to say recruiting momentum, but it's so hard to see that you can get recruiting momentum because there are a lot of recruits that are sitting here. Who it seems from reports really like Auburn and love the atmosphere yeah. and all those other things, but they're just nervous about like what is the coaching future going to look like here, and they just don't know till they see games and. That's the other thing is like, you know, if you get seven or eight wins, but you have nothing to show for recruiting out of that, well, that there's there's your future. And you've already got a depth chart that's going to have a lot of holes in it next year. Yeah, no lie. So, I mean, there's just a lot of things that at this point, I, I feel like we're just at so far down the rope of like, hey, we've kicked the can so far for getting these things right. I just don't know outside of just the most ide- idealistic, like shooting the wings off a fly across the football field with a BB gun with your eyes closed that it can necessarily even be done at this point. You I just stole think, that from Wanted. Well, I mean, yeah. you know, I, <laughs> this is from the movie you Wanted. I saw, I saw, <laughs> I saw, I saw the wings off the fly. Salt <laughs> in theaters, and I just, I, I think at this point it's more just how how are the terms going to go out? Is it going to be do we make it through the season? Do we make it to the bye week? Is it a deal where it's like, hey? If you want to show face, maybe try to go out and get another job and it doesn't have to look like we fired you type deal. Who knows what type of behind the scenes he's not going to convers- do that. Conversations will end up happening. And, and honestly, I mean, hey, if they turn things around and he just he just, you know, flexes nuts and says, like, you know what? Like, y'all aren't getting me. I'm the guy. I'm staying no matter what. Like, I love that kind of mojo. But I mean, at the end of the day, like, if we're gonna have that type of mojo, we gotta have that type of momentum too. And at For this sure. point, there's going to have to be a lot of things to happen to to get this momentum. And maybe I'm a, I'm going to dial back the anti-Boogan a little bit, and I'm going to go back to Boogan to steer the ship ride a little bit. Okay, I right. really do believe that because you know the 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 beginning of all this fan hatred all started with the recruiting and the junior days and all this. But like I really do think that had there been no controversy of any type of really internal Auburn 
manufacturing of hot seat job security that the recruiting would be going fine right now. I believe that I just, as well. Yeah. I, I really just do not believe that if you had not self, or I really do believe if you had not self-manufactured a hot seat before any games have been played this year, that would be a thing. And, but that's the biggest deal is like kids, parents, families, especially with NIL right now, they want some security for what their future is going to look like. And if you don't know who your head coach is going to be, how can you trust any of those conversations that you've been having for months with these coaches and building mm-hmm. a rapport of trust with these assistants that they're even going to be there. So in that, in that we can I'm sure there'll be an episode where we talk about that at <laughs> nauseum, but that is, that's a huge factor and it just stinks. Cause it's like, how, how can you, how can you write that ship or how can you even write that ship before early signing day when, you know, what, what, what goes on? Like I said, I mean, I, I think to Brandy's point outside of beating Georgia and just having these dominant win after win after win and, Robbie just becoming like, oh my gosh, that guy might go to New York all of a sudden. It's just really hard to think that that'll happen. But yeah, that that's that's uh, that's how the job situation could or wouldn't go down in a uh, few different uh, Auburn multiverse ways. Well, I will say like one way to sunshine pump this weekend. I'm not saying we're going to go in there and win or even cover this game, but Georgia is last in the SEC in tackles. So hey. I know. So if we can find a hole and get either oh, Tank yeah. or Jarquez, yeah. So if we can find a hole or if we can find a wide open receiver, I have a little bit of confidence that we can have an explosive play. And that is something on Saturday that we had a lot of. I think we had like nine explosive plays on Saturday. So that's yeah. my only sunshine pumping thing going into this weekend. My only hope is that Georgia is last in the SEC in tackles. So, yep. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Listen, uh, Georgia may be last in the SEC in tackles, but the Auburn Express, powered by the War Report, is first in the hearts of our listeners. I'm here with BMAC and my guy Auburn Memes. We're going to be back at you guys next Thursday to talk about the results of this Georgia game and continue to project what the rest of Auburn season looks like. So uh, what happens with Auburn? Brian Harson is something we're going to be covering a lot every week until such a time as something happens. I'm Mike G here with the crew. We're going to be back at you guys next week. But until then, Oregon. Oregon. Oregon.